All right, again, happy Mother's Day. We're glad you're here with us. And moms, before you leave today, we're going to pray for you, and we also have a little gift for you that you can grab on your way out. So we're glad you're spending this morning with us. So I thought we'd take a break for a moment from the book of Revelation. We'll continue next week with that. But today, if you will, let's go ahead and turn in our Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, in a message that I've entitled, Don't Worry, Pray. Don't Worry, Pray. And let's begin by reading from verse 4 to verse 9. Philippians 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. For be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you've learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. Today, we don't have to talk much about anxiety to be able to identify with it. Today, we find that one medical report after another is showing that many Americans are struggling with anxiety. Now, some try to define anxiety by using words synonymously such as worry and fear. But I believe that if you really look at the content of anxiety, you find that worry plus fear often results in anxiety. You know, that type of anxiety that keeps you up at night. The type of anxiety that is on your mind constantly, no matter what you try to do to escape it. The anxiety that keeps you from enjoying the moment because you're so concerned and worried about tomorrow. It is this anxiety that Paul addresses here in verses 6 and 7, which we'll be focusing on this morning. But let me ask you a question. Have you ever worried about something? Is there anybody here who's never worried? I'd like to meet you to see what that's like. I think all of us can say, yes, we have worried about something. It's a natural reaction to uh, circumstances that we find at the moment to be overwhelming. And often we worry about those things that we can't control or do anything about. Isn't that true? Those things that seem out of our reach, out of our capability, out of our hands. It's those things that lead us to worry. What about fear? Have you ever been fearful? I mean, the type of fear that grips you. The type of fear that causes your blood to grow cold. It sends shivers down your spine causes your hair to stand up, or in my case, hair, singular, to stand up. The type of fear, again, that paralyzes you in the present and doesn't allow you to enjoy the moment. Your stomach sinks. Your mouth dro grows cold. I'm sorry, dry. 
It is this type of fear that is included in this word anxiety. Worry plus fear equals the anxiety that Paul is addressing. I don't know about you, but I've always questioned those people who pay to be fearful. Dee and I used to love going on roller coasters. Notice that I said that in the past tense. Love to go on roller coasters. When we were dating, we would often go and hit Great America because we enjoyed the roller coaster. One of our greatest dates was when we went backwards on the American Eagle, okay? Talk about taking your life into your own hands. You know, it was more enjoyable the more the ride creaked on your way down, okay? Because it was made from wood, if you remember. I think it's still there. Can you imagine what kind of condition it is now? I bet you're all going to run to go to do that. Well, after we were married for a while and the church started, one of the very first weddings I ever officiated was in Disney World in Orlando, Florida. They flew us down there, okay? And it was literally a father of the bride type of wedding. The wedding coordinator was named Franz, okay? Uh, it, was, it was incredible. It was absolutely incredible. You know, I, I said to Dina, I said, it's going to be hard to officiate weddings after this because I'm going to say, oh, where's the venue? Oh, so-and-so. Oh, it's not Disney? Yeah, okay. But while we were down there, we were told that we had to hit a ride called Montu in Bush Gardens in Tampa. It was supposed to be a really scary roller coaster. Okay, maybe you've been there. Maybe you've ridden it. Maybe you know what I'm talking about. So we went... And after getting off Montu, Dina and I noticed that there was something odd about the way we were walking. We were walking sideways, thinking we were going forward. Nothing looked appetizing. We were nauseous for the rest of the week. And we said, maybe we've come to a point where we no longer enjoy scary roller coasters. I'm not going to pay for it anymore. It's like those people who pay to go see a scary movie, all right? I mean, Little Mermaid was too scary for me, okay? The Sea Witch, okay, come on, nightmares for a week. But they go and pay for a scary movie, and then when the scary ski scene comes, they close their eyes or they hide behind themselves. It's like, you paid for that, pal? What are you doing? I've never understood that. People have today a great fear of flying. I get it. 30,000 feet now seems like 30,000 feet. And I'm in a plane that weighs I don't know how much. And if it wasn't for the law of aerodynamics, I would think for sure I was going to go home and meet the Lord. Okay? But let's be honest. Is that fear rational? Because the statistics tell us that 600 people a year die from falling out of their beds. That's more than anyone dies in plane crashes throughout the course of a year. But do you get, are you afraid when you go to bed at night? Do you think to yourself, maybe I should just start out on the floor because this is where I'm going to end up anyway? See, fear isn't always rational. But again, each individual will sum up the, in, the situation for themselves and decide if this is something that they're going to be fearful about or not. When it comes to worry, like fear, we often worry about the wrong things. A poll was recently taken here in America asking people what they worry about. And you'd think it would be, oh, the economy, uh, geopolitical affairs, 
World War III. No, no, it wasn't any of those things. N nuclear war? No, wasn't that. It was something much more important. The number one answer was their appearance is what they were fearful of. Well, I've seen some people, and that's justified. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> okay? But let's be honest. We often fear things and worry about things that we shouldn't. I re remember a story that I heard about a woman whose husband died. And she was lonely. So she was encouraged to buy a parrot. And so she went to the pet store and asked the owner of the pet store, did he carry parrots? He said, we did that they did and that they had the perfect one for that he was extremely pretty and always liked to talk. She was thrilled. Oh, great. This will take place in my husband's place. When you could replace your husband with a parrot, maybe you got bigger issues. But that's another story for another day. So she brought the parrot home and over the course of the first week, the parrot did not say a word. So she brought him back to the pet store owner. And she said, he didn't say a word. All week I've been waiting for this bird to talk and not a word. He says, well, does he have a mirror? She goes, no. Well, buy him a mirror because a mirror always seems to help a parrot talk. Well, she bought a mirror. She went home. Another week passed. The parrot didn't say a word. So she went back to the store again. This time he said to her, oh, uh, does he have a perch? He needs a good perch. Uh, to sit on, and then he'll look in the mirror, and then he'll talk. And so she said, okay, I'll try again. Buys him a perch, okay? Again, another week goes by. He's on the perch, looking in the mirror, doesn't say a thing. Brings him back again. Says, bird's not talking. And the owner said, you got the perch, you got the mirror. Oh, jeez. He said, did you have a ladder? Because he needs to be able to get up on the perch, Okay. This is what you call a high-maintenance bird, okay? Gets, gets up on the perch, you can see himself, and he'll begin to talk. Well, after three weeks, finally, the ladder, the perch, the mirror, nothing caused this bird to talk, and finally the bird died. So she brought him back and said to the owner, I tried everything, he never uh, talked, and now he's died. And the owner said, are you sure he didn't say anything before he died? And she goes, well, come to think of it, very quietly, I thought I heard him say, don't they have any food at that store? <laughs> sometimes we worry. These are the jokes, folks. Sometimes, sometimes we worry and fear over things that are of the wrong priority. The great Charles Mayo, the founder of the Mayo Clinic, said this. He says, in fact, research has revealed that 79 to 90% of all visits to primary care physicians are stress-related complaints. Charles Mayo went on to say, the founder, of course, of the famous Mayo Clinic, said that he never knew anyone who died of overwork, but that he knew many who died of worry. He said, and I quote, you can worry yourself to death, but you will never worry yourself to longer life. The famous director of University of Wisconsin's Stress Management Institute, John Curtis, said this. He says, I believe that 90% of stress is brought on not by living in the present moment, worrying about what has already happened, and what is going to happen or could happen seems to be the issue. 
So we all have our issues with worry, meaning that we miss the moment because we're worrying about the past, worrying about the future, and not resting in the moment. The word worry actually is an old German word. It means to choke out. It means to strangle. And as one wrote, he said, it chokes you spiritually. It creates an emotional and mental stranglehold on your life. It doesn't ever make anything better, and in fact, it makes things worse. When you worry about the future, you cripple yourself in the presence. Worrying does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strengths. That is why Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Why do you worry about tomorrow? Tomorrow will worry about itself. There's a famous European fable that is often spoken talking about the individual who faced death. This individual saw death walking in to his town and spoke to death and said to death, death, why are you here? And death says, I am here to claim 100. And so the man ran before death to warn all of the people that death had arrived at their village. And at the end of the day, when death was exiting the village, over a thousand people had died. The man ran back to death and said, Death, I thought you were only going to take a hundred. And death says, I did. He said, Worry and fear took the other 900. Worry and fear will always rob us from the moment. And if we allow it, it'll rob us from the joy that God has given us in and through Christ Jesus. Now, let us understand we are reading the Bible this morning, and God anticipated that worry and fear were going to be a problem. After the fall, we find that worry, fear, fretting, various words that are used are addressed often in the Old and New Testament alike. God knew that worry and fear were going to be part of the reality of our lives, and he addressed it straightforward. And as we come to verses 6 and 7 this morning, if you turn back to your Bibles with me, notice what he says. He says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now, let's take a moment to consider the writer for a, for a second. This is the famous Paul the Apostle. This is the champion of the New Testament. Now, he is not writing from an academic center there in Jerusalem or some advanced schooling facility in the Gentile world. He's writing from prison at this moment. He's writing because he's waiting to find out if his appeal to Caesar has gone through. He's waiting to find out if he will be executed for his faithfulness to Christianity and could be beheaded the very next day. So he's writing from a place of relatability. He's definitely in a place where he could be worried and fearful and have anxiety uh, just, you know, dis dissolve his heart. And yet he writes to you and I and he says this. He says, be anxious for nothing. The question that people often ask at this point is, is it possible? 
Is that, abs- is that possible in the life of an individual to be anxious about nothing? Please notice that word there. It's, it's all-inclusive. The word nothing includes nothing, okay? It means worry about nothing, be fearful about nothing. But you say, how is that possible? Well, let me go one step further. This may blow you away. It might blow your hair back. That's what happened to me, Okay? It's a command. It's an imperative. But it's, it's preceded by the word be, if you see that in your Bible, be. So it's, he's commanding us not to be in, uh, ridden with anxiety. Be anxious for nothing. It's a command. But the word be there gives us the impression grammatically that it's like someone who loves us putting their arm around us instructing us, telling us, be anxious for nothing, but knowing that they're doing it out of a heart of love. Knowing that they're doing it out of a heart of personal experience, saying that they themselves have been able to overcome the anxiety of the world. It is this direction that we are being given. But Paul just doesn't say, be anxious for nothing. And again, please underline that word. And whatever worries you, whatever you are fearful of, you can fill in that blank of nothing and put it there. But he tells us how we can do that. He tells us how that is possible. As he continues by telling us that it is prayer. Notice what he says here. He says, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, there's another word that really means a lot. Let's worry about nothing. But pray about what? Everything. Everything. There's nothing too big or too small to pray about, right? My wife is famous for praying small prayers. Now, what do I mean by that? Prayers that you don't think God would be concerned with. Prayers that you might consider God saying, really? Really? You're asking me that? I've parted the Red Sea. I've caused the sun and moons to stop. I've done all of that. I've created everything. And you're asking me for that? Really? It's a waste of my time. I'm God. Really? Go, go ask that husband I gave you. Maybe he can help you out. Don't come to me with that. I, I, I'm starting to take it personally that she does go to God first before me. <laughs> now that I think of it. But often, here's what I find out. He answers those small prayers time and time and time and time again. I've said this before. That day she went out to take our dog for a walk in the middle of the blizzard. And while she was out there, she, the keys fell out of her jacket pocket. And of course, by the time she got back in and up, you know, because we had a buzzer back into the condo, you know, she's like, I lost my keys and it's a blizzard. And we, we all looked out the window and you see the snow blowing and, you know, and so forth. And even Santa and the Eskimos are like, we're not going out, you know. It was bad. And she prayed. She goes, Lord, you find those things that are lost. Help me find the keys. And so she went back out by faith, and he led her right to where they dropped, and there she picked him up out of the snow. I remember when we first got married. 
And as time went on, of course, we found that we were pregnant. And I, I say that, but I always feel uncomfortable saying that. I had a very little responsibility in that process, okay? I was there at the beginning, but I was quickly, therefore, uh, not needed after that, okay? And when she told me that she was pregnant, I responded like any good husband would. I said, honey, it's not in the budget. Do they have a layaway program? Can we pay for her over time? Like, hey, we had great jobs. Then I got into ministry, and I was making very little money at the time. We didn't have health insurance at the time. But yet, as we went through the nine months of pregnancy, we were paying the doctors cash at that time, which we could at that time. And we found out at the very last appointment that we were $100 short. And so Dina just lifted up a prayer and said, Lord, we're $100 short. We don't know where we're going to get it from. And so she prayed, and she went about her day. And as she was cleaning around the house, because I had her clean all the way through the ninth month. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Please don't email me on that. She was cleaning, and she came across our photo album from our wedding. And in that photo album she found that we had put a card from our wedding in there unopened. And she opened up the card, and guess what she found within the, uh, in the card? A crisp $100 bill. It doesn't matter how big our prayers are. It doesn't matter how small our prayers are. In everything, we should pray. We need to go from a natural reaction or reflux to a conditional reflux. And I'll talk about that in just a moment. But then he talks about the various prayers. And the very first type of prayer is prayer itself, meaning a time where we sit and talk with God. You know, I notice that when people get into trouble, they often run to all of their friends first. Maybe their mentors, trying to get input and advice. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I would like to see all of us as Christians make our first choice God that we run to him in prayer. We sit at his feet in prayer. That we make our uh, concern known to him in prayer. That we go to him first. That it isn't our last resort, it's always our first choice. For I like what Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. It should be on the screen behind you. He says, Therefore humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Also, Philippians 4.6 says this in the New Living Translation. I love the way they say it. They, they, they state this as, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you are in need of and thank him for all that he has done. And then in our time of prayer, the second thing that he gives us is the issue of supplication. Notice this with me. Big word here, but what does it mean? He says, but in everything, by prayer and supplication. Supplication means to ask for the specific needs in which you have. Some feel that they shouldn't pray for their needs, that somehow it's less spiritual to do so. But God is just the opposite. He says, no, bring all of your cares to me because I care for you. Bring all of your needs to me for uh, I know what you are in need of before you ask. We'll see that in just a moment. 
But the Bible also promises us that he shall supply all of our needs according to his riches. Meaning that he's capable of providing that which you find yourself in need of. But I love to remember these two things when I go to God in prayer. Number one, James tells me in James 4.3, he says, You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your own pleasures. The number one reason for unanswered prayer is because we don't pray to begin with. We don't ask God to begin with. But I also encourage my heart to pray and allow that to be my first choice by knowing that in Matthew 6, 8, notice what Jesus says. He, th- he says, therefore, do not be like them, speaking of the Gentile, for your father knows the things that you have need of before you ask. Meaning God knows. He's fully aware. The Bible says that he has every hair on your head numbered, every tear you've ever cried stored in a bottle. He knows you personally. He knows you intimately. And you're not going to come to God and surprise him with the need that you have because he's already fully aware of that need that you are bringing to him. And when we do bring our needs to him, He says, govern your heart with thanksgiving, number three. It says it right here. What does it mean to be thankful? Well, just that, an attitude of gratitude, a heart that is thankful for all those things that we do have. Often we are, you know, we're depressed and distraught about the things we don't have, and we allow that to erode our joy and our knowledge of what God has blessed us with, because we miss it. We're so fixated on what we don't have, we forget what we do have, right? Did it ever happen to you? You know? I'm sorry, but when I pull up next to a Corvette, I'm like, Lord, I got a car, it starts with a C, but it could have been that. And then I drive away, forgetting that he has blessed me with a car. He has blessed me with transportation. I'm just being funny for those of you who don't know me about the Corvette. I think if I say it long enough, finally one will appear in the parking lot because people just frankly want to hear me stop talking about it. They feel sorry for me. Remember, God doesn't care how fast you get to 55. But that being said, we often forget what we do have because we're fixated on what we don't have. But one of the things that thankfulness does for us, it puts everything in perspective. And often I think the reason that we don't pray first is because we have the wrong perspective of God. Either we think that our prayer request is too difficult for God to answer or too small for him to care. And therefore we don't bring it to him. We don't bring these requests to him because we think that, again, it's outside the range of his capability. But thankfulness gives us a perspective that we may not have had otherwise. I think about the story in Acts chapter 4, verse 24. It's when Peter was released from jail and he went back to his friends and told them everything that had happened, how the angel had miraculously led him out of the prison so he could continue on with the work and the ministry that God had asked him to do and fulfill. But he told his friends, listen, the religious leaders, the authority of that time had scolded him and warned him never to preach in the name of Jesus again. Never to say anything in the name of Jesus, to give Jesus any credit whatsoever for what was happening before them. For he had just healed somebody and the religious Pharisees couldn't uh, deny what had just happened. 
the very first choice this group of people decided to commit themselves to is to prayer. And the way they start their prayer is the way that we should start every single one of our prayers to put it in the proper perspective and within the proper contents. Notice with me. So when they had heard that, they raised their voice, Acts 4.24, to God with one accord and said, look at this, Lord, you are God. Stop there. That kind of changes everything, right? Whatever I'm about to say next is small in comparison to that statement. You're God. You're omnipotent, you're omniscient, and you're omnipresent. You're everywhere, you know everything, and you can do anything. Kind of changes everything, right? And then they go on one step further to say, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. If you can get past Genesis 1-1 in your Bible reading and believe it, in the beginning was God, if you can believe that, that he created all things, the rest of the Bible's easy. This puts everything into proper perspective. You are God and you created everything, so what I am about to ask you is nothing in comparison. It gives you the right perspective moving forward. As one stated, he said, listen to this, big God, small problems. Big problems, small God. It's all relative. But what we are being asked to do is react to what our circumstances are dictating, not as the world would react, but as one in Christ would react. What Paul is looking for is not a normal reflex, but a conditional reflex. And what do I mean by that? All of us are confronted with worry and fear, often leading to anxiety. And the natural reaction would be to allow that anxiety to fester to allow it to rob us of the moment, to keep us up at night. That's the natural reaction. But as Christians, we're often uh, asked to react in a supernatural way. Well, how is that possible? Because God makes it possible for us to do that. You know, for example, if you were to iron something, and you went and you grabbed the iron the wrong way and burnt your hand, your natural reflex would be to rip your hand away from that iron. It would be unnatural and un, uh, uh, it would be you know, un abnormal for you to keep your hand on that iron because you're being burned. But God is saying, Paul is writing to us, saying that it is possible to form a conditional reflex or reaction to circumstances that would lead us to fear, worry, and anxiety through prayer, leading to a peace that surpasses all understanding. Instead of being worried and fearful and up at night and all consumed and losing the moment for the past or the present, God would say, bring it to me in prayer. Bring it to me in prayer. You know, all of us remember, I think, what it was like to learn how to drive. Do you guys remember to learn when you learned how to drive? Have you ever taught your son and daughter to learn how to drive? You know, they're aware of every little thing that they're doing. Dad, is, is, is the mirror correct? Just like, all right, put the key in. All right. Now, where are the windshield wipers? All right, put the key in. You know, you're there for an hour and a half and you haven't even pulled out of the driveway yet. Every little thing. 
Should I proceed? And then, you know, they're looking at every little ounce of the road, and that's a good thing. I remember when my daughter was learning how to drive. She was consciously aware of every little thing around her. And that's how we all start out. That's the natural reaction. But I drove with her just the other day, and she had to drop me off with my car to the service station, and then we went out for breakfast afterwards. And while she was driving, I'm like, she's, you know, doing something on her phone. She's uh, doing something with the radio, putting on makeup, cutting her hair, you know. <laughs> and, and yet she's still perfectly driving everywhere she goes. You know, I, I, I'm, remember, I'm following this verse. I'm just praying. I'm just praying, Lord. But all those things that she was consciously aware of, she now... Uh, does unconsciously. She just does it. When was the last time you got up in the morning and you said, Lord, I'm concerned and I won't breathe today? I'm really concerned, Lord. What if, have you ever stopped to consider how often you have to worry about your heart stopping? Do you ever wonder about those things? No, it just happens, right? I just breathe. My heart just goes. This is the unconscious living in the presence, allowing for these things to occur. God wants you and I to move to prayer in the same fashion. It's just our, our natural, supernatural reaction to worry, fear, and anxiety. We just pray. We're just going to pray. And as we pray, notice what happens here in verse 7. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. And he adds that because it's supernatural. It's not of this world. I can't explain to you how it happens. God just supernaturally does it. And notice what this piece does. It guards our hearts and our minds. I understand the aspect of the mind, don't you? Because that's where everything kind of moles, right? Why is it that you can be so tired at the end of a day and just like, oh, I'm just going to bed. And the moment your head hits the pillow, you begin to think about everything. It's like, oh my goodness, you know, what about that? And I've got to do that. And brought a toothpaste. And do we have this? And oh, I forgot to tell her that. Oh, I forgot to do that email. And you're just laying there. It's like, you know, and you're just going through this laundry list. You get up the next morning, you've forgotten it all, right? But the very next night, you go back to bed, and it all comes rushing back again. You start worrying about things you never even considered to worry about. I had a person one time tell me, this was hilarious. I had a person one time telling me, they struggled with worry and fear, and I would often talk with them after church. And I would pray with them after church. And every Sunday when they walk in, you could just see it on their face. They were concerned and worried about something. And many of the things that they were worried about were outside of their control and they couldn't really do anything about, but they were worried and concerned about it. And they were really losing the moment because of that. Well, one day I saw that person come in at the before service and just happy and joyful. And I said, hey, how is your week going? How is your day, uh, this, uh, day today and so forth? And they said, oh, it's been great. Everything's been going great. 
I haven't worried at all, and I've been getting good night's sleep, and I'm like, oh, praise the Lord. Great. That's awesome. However, though, after service, I saw that person again, and this time I could see that worry and fear and anxiety had gripped them once again. And I went up to them. I said, are you okay? And she said to me, she said, you know, after I said that when I walked in this morning, I started to worry because I had nothing to worry about. And I was like, okay, let's pray about that. Maybe you've met a person like that. This peace will guard our hearts and minds. We get the mind, but what about the heart? It's amazing how worry and fear and anxiety will cause emotional distress upon us in many different ways. Maybe we become short with the people that we love. We snap at them because we're worried, fearful, and anxiety. Maybe uh, we're so overcome by the circumstances that we find ourselves in that all we ever do is talk about them because that's all that's on our heart and mind. And we begin eroding relationships because, you know, we just can't enjoy the moment. But God says, I will protect your mind, I will protect your heart, and I will guard them. And the word there that is used there is the word garrison. It's like putting a, you know, a guard, uh, guards around like the army or the marines around your heart and saying nothing is going to penetrate your mind. Nothing is going to penetrate your heart when it comes to worry, fear, and anxiety. This peace is going to stand there like a garrison to comfort you in your time of need. Often when we ad face adversity, our first instinct is to turn to other people for help. May I encourage you this morning in closing to take those concerns to God, knowing that God has invited you to cast your cares upon him, for he cares for you. But ultimately, why should we turn to God in our time of trouble? Well, it comes down to three things. Number one, best of all, that Jesus told us to do so. And do we really need any other instruction than that? When Jesus said in Luke 18.1, he said, and he spoke the parable to them, that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. Jesus told us to. That's why we do it. So the next time I want to run to worry, fear, and anxiety, I'm going to turn to God in prayer instead. Number two, we should pray because prayer is God's appointed way for you to interact with him. I am hearing more and more advertisements on radio for online Zoom meeting therapy sessions. Have you heard about this? Here I'm listening to my local sports station and want to hear about my bears. And as I'm listening, next thing I know, I'm being solicited for online therapy. And of course, in that relationship, it works around your schedule. If you don't like the therapist you're initially assigned with, you can find another one. But I said to myself, I said, oh, how impersonal is that? And when does that therapist go from a live person to the, an AI? Just think about that for a minute. But again, another impersonal relationship that we are interacting with for help. But we as Christians can go anywhere at any time 
and pray and the God of all the universe who created everything, who loves you more than you could possibly imagine, who is alive and living, will meet you there. No appointment necessary. God takes walk-ins, okay? At any time, you can go anywhere and pray. I love to walk alone and I love to spend time with God in prayer. I love to sit at a picnic table overlooking a lake and have devotionals. Getting away with the Lord is a great thing to do. Now, what scares us is that, of course, when we talk to God, we call it prayer. But when God talks to us, we call it, you know, schizophrenia. But God talks to us every single day through his word. He lets us know that we're not alone because he'll never leave us nor forsake us. He lets us know that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's consistent. You can trust him. And he loves you beyond anything and anyone you will ever meet. And number three, prayer is a way by which God helps us to overcome our anxiety and worry. Why? Because once we get God involved and we put everything in the right perspective, the problem that we face that initially triggered the reaction of worry, fear, and anxiety begins to shrink in comparison. And I'm not, I'm not, making, I, I'm not saying that your problems and your, your circumstances aren't difficult. I'm not making them little in, in, in my eyes. I'm not demeaning you in any way, shape, or form. I'm just saying that when you bring them up against God, they just pale in comparison. And when you know that you have the heart of a father, a real father, someone who will put his arm around you, encourage you, strengthen you, and supernaturally gives you a peace that surpasses all understanding, that is where you will find true help. The Bible called Jesus our wonderful counselor. So may I encourage you to take counsel from him this morning. On this Mother's Day, I hope that all of us remember the impact that our moms have had upon us. My mom did many wonderful things in the difficult relationship that I had with her. But I remember now that she is gone, and before she uh, passed away, she gave her heart and life to Jesus Christ. So I'm going to see her again, and the nagging she started here, she'll be able to continue in heaven for all eternity. Okay? I know that once I get there, I'm going to hear the voice, will you just pick up your room? Will you just pick up your room? You know, cleaning your room was not making a path, you know, just a path, pushing all the junk, like the Lord parting the Red Sea, you know, through all the toys on the floor. The same with my dad. Came to Christ right before he died. You know, I often think that I became a Christian because when my dad would yell out the front door yelling at me, he would always start with Jesus Christ. I'll let that just sink in for a minute what that means. Our parents are indispensable. Maybe you haven't had that relationship. Maybe you can't uh, relate to that for one reason or another. But I say to you, you can have it today with God. God is inviting you into a personal relationship with him. And in that relationship, you will find 
the elements of the relationship that you've been looking for probably from everyone else throughout your entire life that only God can provide for you. God loves you more than you could possibly ever imagine. And he proved that by sending Jesus for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whomsoever shall believe in him shall not die but have everlasting life. The Bible says that once we come to God and reestablish our relationship with him through Christ, that we can call him Abba Father, Daddy. And it's not disrespectful to do so. That's the relationship he wants to have with you. And in that relationship, you will discover a love, a peace, a joy like you've never had before. Now, I'm not saying everything is going to be perfect in this world. I'm not going to say things are going to get easier. They're probably going to get harder, but you won't have to go it alone anymore because God is always with you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. You came today maybe to honor your mom and to be with her on Mother's Day, and we're so glad you did. But maybe you don't know the Lord. Maybe you don't have that relationship with Jesus. Maybe if something were to happen to you, you're not sure that you would step out of this world and step into heaven. You can be sure of all that today by just asking him into your life. Realizing that what separates you from him is sin. We've all sinned, every single one of us. We've done wrong things against God. Every one of us has. But some here today are forgiven of that sin. And that sin can be forgiven by you coming to Christ and simply asking him to forgive you. Instead of walking away from God in your life, you can start walking towards God. And in so doing and establishing that relationship, you can understand this peace that we're talking about. You struggle with worry, you struggle with fear, you struggle with anxiety. And nothing in this world seems to help or alleviate the difficulties of those things. And I ask you this morning, come to Christ. And what they couldn't do for you, I guarantee God can. Because he promises to do so here in his word. So I'd like to pray with you, if I may. Let's bow our heads. Father, you know every person here this morning. You know where they're at. Father, you know what they're going through. You know what brought them here today, and we're so glad that they are here with us. Father, I pray that you would just do what you do. I pray that the Holy Spirit would come right now and just impress upon each and every one of our hearts our need for you. And that if we would receive Christ as our Savior, as we, if, as we cry out to him, to be saved. It's not just simply saving us from those things that will happen after we die. That salvation begins today in our life. Delivering us and releasing us from the bondages of sin and death. Of worry and fear. Of anxiety. Now Lord, we're still going to be confronted with things but we won't be confronted with those things alone anymore. You will be with us. And I pray that if there's anyone here today who doesn't know you for sure, that they would lift their heart to you and just pray and ask, Lord, forgive me for those things that I have done. Forgive me, Lord, 
for walking away from you in my life. Father, I do struggle with worry and fear and anxiety, Lord. And Father, nothing in this world seems to be able to alleviate that and to give me the peace that I'm looking for. But I hear today that you can, Lord. So I pray and I ask that you forgive me of my sins, that you come into my life, that you be my Lord and my Savior, that you give me new life, a new start, a redo, a reset here this morning. And Father, allow me to have that relationship with you through Jesus, that I may know you and all that you have done for me that I may not fear death, that simply it becomes moving from one place to the other, stepping out of this world and stepping into heaven for all eternity. Father, I pray that you would come into my life and be my God and my Savior. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.